according to and it's just it's kind of funny uh the only reason for that is that's just what my customers seem to like is is the rawhide uh i have no objections to the fiberglass works just as good well that's a discussion we need to have that's a that's a very relevant deal uh willie we got another glue sniffer on here i don't know if you you're okay I'm, with that or not? I'm great with it. I love you guys. I just don't get to talk as freely. I have to listen. <laughs> <laughs> it's all good. I pushed recording on you guys because Brian just jumped right off into good content, and I thought, "Holy cow, we don't even have an introduction, but there's content here." We yeah, gotta, we we got to have this on. I on apologize. Paper. Yeah. No, you did perfect. It's exactly well, what I wanted great. to do. So we got Brian Seifert, and and people often mispronounce his name they say seifert but i'm german enough that i know the difference that if you got two two vowels together like that you pronounce the the sound of the second vowel is that correct brian well you're absolutely correct uh you know i i almost never correct folks i feel like it almost depends on where you're standing i guess if we're in germany it is pronounced cipher and i guess technically if we're over here at seifert so i answer to either one Either way. I, uh, I'm Wilson Caprin in a lot of circles, so it, it, you know, there's no reason that it, sh it should be Caprin other than whatever. It, that's the way they say it. But Yeah, I get it too, Brian. Just let them talk. It don't matter. Sure, sure. There's some people call me Schwartzy. Schwartzy! You know, you said you got to say it right. Schwartzy! <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of like, Workshop Wednesday has bled into that word. <laughs> Schwartzy! <laughs> <laughs> That's oh, geez. <clears throat> well, Brian's a fabulous saddle maker from Powell, Wyoming, but he grew up in the great city of Great Falls, Montana. Exactly right. Yeah, I was uh, I was raised in Great Falls and uh, went stayed there all the way through high school. And I ended up here in Wyoming. I was actually rodeoing at the time. And I got offered a scholarship to to go to school for Rick Smith there in Central Wyoming College, and uh, he was a he was a rodeo coach there. I don't know for how long, but uh, now Rick is the supervisor for the P, all the PRCA judges. So, oh wow, yeah, that's how. But it, that's how I ended up in Wyoming, and my wife Krista, of course, she's from right here in Wyoming. So, got here and never left. It tends well, to happen a good that place way to when, be. when you marry a, a lady that's at home and you, you tend to stay wherever they are. I have a brother-in-law did the same thing. Moved to Arkansas, which is forever away. Oh, he'll never come back. We know he won't. The ladies, keep us yeah. there. That's awesome, though. Sure. You know, and Powell's a really nice area. Uh, it's just a great place to raise a family. We've got three kids. Uh, it's just, uh, you know, Powell's about a little over 6,000. So you've got just enough of the opportunities to get them kids exposed to anything they might want to try yet you don't have the big city environment you're still small town enough and uh, it works really well for us that's cool so did you know larry lorraine i don't know that larry grew up around great falls but i think he did yeah yes i've known i've known larry for a long time uh we were never really close day-to-day -day friends but uh, I knew Larry all the way back from high school. So he is married to Lacey. Lacey's maiden name is Lyman. 
I don't know if you guys know this, her, her dad is Dick Lyman. Uh, the name Lyman, of course, is he is brothers to Rod Lyman. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, NFR Bulldogger for many years. And both of them just, that whole family is just full of really good hands. And uh, Dick was just a, he was very instrumental in all of us kids who were high school rodeoing at the time. He had an arena out at his place and he was willing to help anybody who thought they might want to get started riding bucking horses. Hmm. And uh, Larry can probably tell you a little bit more about that. He had a, he had a really nice arena that was, I am convinced to this day was nothing more than concrete with a little dust sprinkled on top. <laughs> so, it was some pretty good incentive not to get bucked off, but we all got bucked. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> Well, I don't, I don't so, know. Yeah, to answer your question, I, I've known Larry for a long time. Oh, that's cool. I, I figured as much. I don't know if Larry can, I don't know what Larry can do in the rodeo arena, but he's certainly becoming quite proficient in the bit and spur world. I'm pretty proud of what Larry's got going on right now. It's cool. Very yeah. Nice. And actually, here's a, here's a little bit of backstory while we're on, on talking about Larry here. He actually, <laughs> He is actually a very good saddle maker. I don't know if he would like me telling you that. He oh, actually wow. built my, the first custom saddle that I ever had built when I was riding Colts for the public was built by Larry Lorraine. I'll be there. I did know he did some other work, but he's, he's a he sworn did, off of it. Actually, yeah, he's very talented. Very talented. He's, no he's sworn off of it, though. We, we brought him back from the dark side, so he's good. That's right. Uh, he'll probably kill me even for mentioning that because I don't think he wants any more orders or any part of it. So no, he didn't. That's good. Well, back to you. I'm sorry for getting off on Larry, which that's a great topic too. No problem. Well, you've got some of your history. You've told me about. You go back far enough into some of those last clinics that Ray Hunt was doing, and. Oh. uh you got plugged into all of that kind of horsemanship and stuff and started riding colts for the public. Yeah, that's that's quite a story. Uh, so I first started riding colts for the public pretty much directly out right out of college. And I kind of hung my shingle out there. And the way I, I really got started is, well, like I said, I was rodeoing for Rick Smith. And his brother is Bill Smith. A lot of people okay. will remember Bill. He is a he was a three time world champion saddle bronc rider, but in addition to that, they had the Wyo quarter horse sale mm -hmm. in Thermopolis, Wyoming. So he in within his horse sale, he took on a partner, Woody Bartlett, and they had a ranch down in Chugwater, Wyoming, where all of us rodeo cowboys would go down there. There'd probably be oh eight or ten of us, and we'd start all of Woody's two year olds for him. And then they would sell those two-year-olds, of course, in the spring, or excuse me, in the fall at Bill's fall sale. So all of them already had 10 rides on. Them. And that was just a, a great place for me to kind of get my feet wet, so to speak. And, well, sort of try my hand at, uh, at riding Colts. And that was really good to me. I really enjoyed that. Uh, from there on, both Bill and Rick, they both learned from Ray Hunt. They spent a lot of time around him, and they really encouraged me to spend just as much time as I could around Ray. So I went to I went to go into as many of those clinics as I possibly could to kind of help me out wherever I could. And it uh, to this day, uh, I don't think I've ever been around as good of a horseman as Ray. 
My mom went to a few of them, and that's how she raised me. She she'd use raised training techniques on me and my sister. So, yeah. And what did you think of that? <laughs> Got my halter <laughs> shank jerked a bunch. I know that. <laughs> <laughs> my mom well, went because my dad. <laughs> yeah, I can kind of relate to that. Uh, you know, so much of what Ray would would talk about at those clinics, he would he would relate it to what we were doing every day. Mm. So I raised my kids very similar to that. Yeah. I know that uh, Ray would always say, he'd say, if I had a goal with a horse, it would be to someday have that horse feel as if wherever I was, whatever I was asking him to do, there was no place on earth that that horse would rather be than right by my side. And I thought, you know, if there was ever a good goal, that would be it with a horse. And why couldn't you have that with your kids? Mm -hmm. So I've always tried to raise my kids in, in a similar fashion. So, for example, if it wouldn't matter what we were doing. If the day came where we were out building fence, I would hope the day would come where my kids would feel there is no place on earth they'd rather be than right beside me working. So mm -hmm. I think it's a good goal to have. Ray had a lot of those kind of analogies, and yeah, I just can't say enough about that experience. Oh, that's cool. That's way cool. Yeah. Way cool. Well, he they makes... came, then he decided that uh, starting Colts on frozen ground wasn't for you. Well, I couldn't have put it any better. So <laughs> when I was riding, back when I was riding Colts, I had some, had a lot of doors and opportunities open up, and one of them came from Mrs. Bartlett, uh, asked me if I would go start a bunch of colts of theirs. They were into cutting horses in their wet, at their Weatherford ranch. And that was a pretty easy sell. You know, I'm riding on frozen ground up in Wyoming, and she asked me to come down to Weatherford, Weatherford, Texas, and spend my winter down there. So that was a real easy sell. And I went down there. I think I had about 30 babies to start that winter. And as soon as I got down there, me and the ranch manager, we just, we just kind of clicked. You know, we got along real well. And, uh, all the while I was riding, in the back of my mind, I always had this idea of how I would love to learn to someday build saddles. But at the same time, I was really enjoying what I was doing. I had no reason to try to seek something else out. So it was it it was kind of one of those deals that I thought, well, that would sure be a, a, a wonderful dream, but I don't know if it'll ever come to fruition. And what had happened was Mrs. Bartlett one day, she showed up with a little little spot of cancer on her shoulder, I remember. And uh, I thought that they would remove that. It would be gone, no problems. And unfortunately, uh, it spread like wildfire, and a month later, she was gone. So wow. as sad as that was, that brought that to kind of a screeching halt. And that brought me back to Wyoming Colts on frozen ground. And I can still, I can still remember the day that I – said, I'm going to go learn to build saddles. I was on a, oh, a big five or six-year-old, and, I mean, he hadn't had much handling. He, he he wasn't a colt. He was five or six years old, but he had never been started. And we were probably, it was a miserable cold day. We were out, well out in the hills, and he blew up through a little equine fit. And I remember thinking to myself right then, gosh, there has got to be a better way to make a living. <laughs> in Wyoming in the wintertime. So it was that day that I decided I'm going to go figure out how to build saddles. So that's exactly what I did. And, you know, there was a lot of trial and error in that. Uh, now, I did not 
I did not just stop what I was doing. I felt like that would have been completely irresponsible to just quit riding Colts and just go to stamp and leather. But what I did do is, uh, you know, I would spend all day riding and then I would come home in the evenings. Now keep in mind, I'm in my mid twenties. I'm pretty young and tough at this, at this stage in my life. So I would spend after dinner, I would spend my evenings pounding leather out in the garage and I would do that till probably two, two thirty in the morning. And the next day, just do it all over again. And I was loving it. You know, it seems to me, you start pounding leather, you're either going to be addicted to it right away, or you're not going to want much to do with it. And I, I fell in love with it right away. So for me, it wasn't much of a question of if it was more of a question of how am I going to get there? So I ended up moving my shop from my garage into uh, one of the vacant bedrooms in the in the house here. And then I went to pounding on leather till two or three in the morning in the house. And, you know, that that didn't go real well. Krista wasn't overly excited about hearing that pounding at two in the morning. So it actually worked to my advantage because at some point I convinced her, well, I need to build a saddle shop. So her position was anything to get you out of the house from pounding. You can pound out there all night. Like So it, building this shop was a pretty easy sell. And uh, so that's what I did. Uh, but it was, you know, like I said, this was not something, this was very gradual for me. I don't think there was ever a spot where it just was smooth sailing and it went straight uphill, so to speak. Uh, one of the things that really helped me, probably to this day as much as anything, was I had an opportunity. This was actually my, my first experience with the TCA. And I, at this point, I'm going to say I'd probably built half a dozen saddles. And I was out of... I was at a horsemanship and a colt starting clinic in Billings, Montana, that Brian Newbert was putting on. And there was someone there who had a saddle out there on display with some cards. And I looked that thing over and, and that was a well-built saddle. I said, I better, I better go visit with this guy and see kind of what, what path he's on. So we got to visiting a little bit and he said, well, he says, I'll, I'll tell you something that you may know about. He said, are you familiar with the TCA? And I said, very little. And uh, he said, well, he said, you can get to working with Steve Meekham if you apply for one of their scholarships. And this was long before the fellowship was a thing. Uh, you guys can correct me if I'm wrong, but them scholarships, were, I want to say $500 or 1000 Do you remember yeah. what those? 500 bucks, I think, to start with. Yeah. Right, right. So I went ahead and got a whole, I called Steve and I told him my situation and of course, anybody who knows Steve would probably say two things about him. He's a he's a phenomenal saddle maker, and he's every bit as the, of a good guy as he is a saddle maker. And so he was more than happy to work with me. But he did say that one of the conditions were is he said you do need to apply through the TCA to get that scholarship money before you can come down here. So that's exactly what I did. I I wrote a letter and whatever else was required at that time. And that was a real turning point. So I got to go spend a full week with Steve and it wasn't a hands-on experience for me. I basically got to observe him building a rough out saddle from start to finish. Hmm. I got to see his process. I got to take as many notes as I'd like and take as many pictures. And, and I really felt that that was the turning point for me. And, uh, I just can't say enough about that experience. So that was actually my first experience of the TCA years before I received this fellowship deal. Mm -hmm. But uh, yeah, that's how that kind of all came about, so, how I got into it. 
so did so you you thought it was a real turning turning point just being a, an observant of the skills you know and then i'm always thinking that the the hands-on is is better but it's always it's also less efficient you know if you're sitting there trying to do the skill set where if we were watching steve build that saddle it's clickety clickety going through there did but you you do think that was of value just sitting observing and asking questions and moving move along the journey that way i'm, I'm curious just because well yeah no you raise a really good point and actually i think you're right wilson i actually think the hands-on can be better but i also think it depends on where you're at yeah. so in, in that example you know i was awful green i mean i was doing the best yeah. i could but i built half a dozen saddles at that point and my work was pretty rough so if steve would have been sitting down beside me uh, boy, <laughs> it would have been nonstop here, you know, telling me all these adjustments that I need to be making. So I think at that point in my journey, I think just observing was really the right thing for me. You know. And, uh, but now with the fellowship, I'm in an entire different place. I mean, let's oh, yeah. keep in mind that that was, you know, maybe 17 years ago or something like that. So yeah. now with this fellowship where I've had the opportunity to travel around and it's all been hands-on with everybody that mm. I've worked with. So yeah, I totally agree with you. The hands-on, if you can get that going, that's as good as, as anything. I think that's a good question for us to ask though, Schwartzy, like if we're in a, in a situation similar to that, where are you at in your journey? And if you're just getting started, why don't you just observe and watch me make a pair of spurs or a bit or bang them, bang a mouthpiece out. Cause we all know at the levels we're at now, there's a matter of time it takes just to become familiar with the tools and the mechanics of operating them. And if you're just learning that, it, it, it just takes too dang much time to, 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 for a maker like Steve to sit and build it, build a saddle with them. So, but now in the fellowship, Oh, heck yeah. No questions. Hands-on is the best way to go there. That's cool. Yeah. You know, I, I think I'd qualify that a little bit. I think those half dozen saddles that Brian built, laid foundation for his perception level mm -hmm. to be a little bit higher too Absolutely. so when you see something and he describes something it wasn't you weren't standing flat-footed either so, i know i i tell people that come to mind i said i didn't you may uh, whatever if you haven't built a saddle at all uh you can come and watch me build one but it probably would be helpful your perception level if you're going to spend this amount of money it'd be better if you just if you had some tools in your hand and built a saddle or two. So totally agree. I totally agree with that. That you know that you have to have some familiarity with the situation so that you have encountered problems so that you have questions, right? Yeah. I've yeah. had people come in the shop before and, and go through a similar situation and then they come back a year later and well, you weren't doing it that way then. Yes, I've always done it this way. And they're like, no, you weren't, or I'd have known it. And I said, no, you weren't far enough along to know the need to watch for that. Now you've encountered the problem, <laughs> and you're like, oh, that's how you do it. You know? so, exactly right. Exactly. Well, Brian's a quick study. I can I can attest to that. I had Brian over here a couple of times here this past year and stuff. And and uh, he's, I, I can tell that, that, he was a really good is a really good horse just by because he's a good craftsman and uh boy he just just a sponge soaking everything up so should we well, ask I the, it, it i i'm i'm i knew that by watching and looking at your saddles brian and 
what Schwartzy says, but we got to ask the question, Kerry, now that you brought this up a couple weeks ago, does he have to be a cowboy to be able to build a saddle? What's Brian's opinion? Oh, we, <laughs> we opened that can of worms yesterday on, on the phone. We, we kind of teed things up and that subject did come up. So yeah, we'll have to ask Brian that question. Does cowboy need to be on your resume? That's you it. become well, a cowboy craftsman. Yeah. I mean, it's a good question. Uh, I would say, I would say no, but I would also say that for my, for me, uh, the sequence that I learned everything, I feel that it really did help me. And the reason I say that is if I would have done it the other way, if I would have just learned to start building saddles, I would, without any really extensive knowledge in traditional horsemanship, which is very much what I'm involved in and what I enjoy, you know, I think I would have just been having to take somebody at their word, maybe a little too much. And I don't know if it would have been as meaningful as it is today. Today, when I'm building a saddle, uh, I'm thinking to myself all the while, this is, this ground seat is incredibly important. Yeah. Uh, the, these riggings, that's one thing I will say. So even from my very first saddles, uh, I feel very confident in saying that my riggings were dead square. And I can say that I always use a few things that I always did right from the get-go is I used the best trees that my money could buy. So I was always using hand-built trees and I would make absolute certain that my riggings were dead square. And those things I felt were absolutely crucial. And I, I probably focused a crazy amount of time on my ground seat. Those were the things that I feel that I, I understood the importance from all the years of riding that I had leading up to first getting started to build saddles. If it were the other way, I think I would have just been taken. I think for me, it really did help me. But that being said, I have no doubt if you had the right person that you were teaching to build saddles, they may have very little knowledge or experience of riding. And I think over time, you could absolutely train that person. I mean, that's my thoughts. What are your thoughts on it? What are you guys' thoughts? Well, I, I agree 100%. I think that if uh, with the right situation, you need to have the right information to get you started. It has to be the right right person. It's critical, I think, in either scenario you just described there. I think they, you need to have some – if you're going to be a working guy out there and using stuff, you still – when you – transition over to building saddles you're gonna you're gonna have to have the right information and there just it just doesn't seem to me there's enough lifetime for one guy to figure it all out because he's been horseback there's just too many scenarios there's just un, an unlimited number of variables out there you're trying to the goalposts seem like they're moving all the time and as you know at this point in your career that there's quite a bit of disagreement oh, sure. <laughs> so, sometimes at pretty high levels and stuff. And you have to sift through all that kind of stuff. And, and I think your own personal experience is one of those things you draw on. So if you don't have any of that personal experience, then that's limiting. But right. I've, I've maintained for years that if, if I could take a kid with dreadlocks and a skateboard and make him a pretty good hand, yeah. if, if he were, uh, you know, Skookum, if he was, he was all in and a good student and had good eye hand coordination and all of that kind of stuff, 
But the problem with that is, would anybody order a saddle from him? Sure, sure. <laughs> yeah, probably not. And that's that's where another whole factor kind of kind of enters the picture, and that is uh, why wouldn't they? And I think that the reason for that would be there's no cultural buy-in. Yeah, I think there. I think people in our industry expect a certain amount of cultural buy-in, mm-hmm. especially nowadays. Probably more nowadays than ever. They they want they want to order a saddle from a guy that or gal either one that's that they they where the perception level is is okay this person has been horseback yes yes in <laughs> fact I've I've seen that firsthand where well the the trees kind of tie into this to me these are all these things are kind of tied in together like I said even long before I ever got to building my own trees I always use the best trees that money could buy. And I think that was a, a really good move early on. Um, and I'll say this, I don't know how many Colts I've started over the years. Uh, I'm guessing a couple, couple thousand. Now, I don't mean that like it might sound. That doesn't make me any better than the next guy. But having been exposed to those kind of numbers, I can tell you with absolute certainty that I can almost, almost count on one hand the amount of issues I've had with fit. So... That that I learned a lot just from that experience. That if you start off with a good foundation, if you start off with a good tree, you know ninety percent of your your tree and saddle fits are are right out the window. Problems are right out the window. So that is something that I did learn from the experience of riding that did transfer over into my building. Absolutely, I completely agree. The recipe for success is a recipe. It's numbers. It's mechanics. It's it's uh, not necessary. It's it's knowledge, but it's easily um, it's easily related to somebody if they'll listen. But the experience one gains from being on a horse is only gained by being on a horse and that feel and you know. And so I I I too was a similar situation, Brian, and then I was on a horse a lot of years before I started making business first, and then and then was able to use some of that experience to help me with a feel and things about business first. Now I'll tell you as a bit and spur maker, something I'm very cautious of, and I've probably said it on the podcast before, but I try not to let my horsemanship interfere with the function of a bridle bit. And I don't like it. Horsemanship is, it is very individual, right? Everybody has their own feel and their own way of communication. And, and a bridle bit is, or a pair of spurs is a form of communication between rider and horse. So everybody's talking a little bit different. So I, I try to make sure I don't try to push my horsemanship over onto my customers. I allow them to tell me their horsemanship and how they communicate and then recreate a bridle. Going back to some of that experience we talk about of riding a horse, it's got to fit a horse's mouth and they're all virtually the same. So you, uh, not that I say they're virtually the same, there's a lot of different uh variables within a horse's mouth but the basic fundamentals are all pretty close to the same you know given here or there so anyhow if, if it feels good and, and the angles are all pretty right um, for what the guy's trying to communicate then away we go and i i think my horseman my my days on a horse i shouldn't say horsemanship but my days on a horse play into that you know they they help with that situation sure but, uh, yeah you don't have to be you don't have to grow up on a horse to be a good saddle maker a good bit spur maker i think don't have to. Sure. It all helps. All helps. 
Well, what about the art side of it, Brian? You know, I mean, we because well, you've definitely side, jumped off into that. Yeah, I tell you, the art side of it. Uh, well, I I can tell you, I enjoy that every bit as much as I do deconstruction. Mm -hmm. And that was something I think I may have struggled with a little bit more th than some folks. Uh, but I always enjoyed it. Um, and I always wanted, I always wanted nice looking saddles. Uh, so I, it was something that I knew I was going to have to learn. And, you know, where I'm located, you look at this on a map, Sheridan, Wyoming is on the other side of the Bighorns. So I was very heavy, heavily influenced by Sheridan style carving. Um, I mean, that's just the way that, <laughs> that one's going to work just simply for where I'm located. And, uh, so it was it was really nice that I did have some people really close by whose brains I could go pick. And of course we got the Sheridan Leather Show there. Uh that being said, it was that was not easy for me. That was something I really had to work at real hard. And Carrie, you might may really appreciate this, but I cannot tell you how much I enjoyed those last few days that I spent with you there on that gesture drawing. Mm -hmm. That uh that really opened my eyes in so many ways. Uh, so for anybody who doesn't know, I would suggest going on your Patreon page and taking a look at some of that because it it really got my whole thinking entirely different. And shoot, we spent basically two days just drawing. Uh, and, and it was an entire different way of thinking. Uh, you could probably touch on that a little bit more and explain it a lot better, what the gesture drawing is, a lot better than I can. But I was one of them guys who thought, I need to go in there and get all the detail right from the get-go, and I'm going to make this line just as perfect. And, boy, you flipped that on its head for me. And uh, <laughs> in interestingly enough, that I don't know if you guys have talked at all about any New Year's resolutions, but that was one of my New Year's resolutions is to spend 30 minutes every morning doing some gesture drawing and uh it's just as addicting as anything i just i love that it's relaxing isn't but it it is and yeah. you know what i think i like about it the most uh boy my mantra is keep it simple stupid and that really that acronym of kiss just keep it simple stupid yeah and that really helped me in that area uh wouldn't you say carrie that that just really simplifies a lot of things I, I think so. And I think we we're just hardwired. People are hardwired to we stand in our own way. And when you do that, you're complicating life. You really are. And and the gesture drawing is just so liberating. It 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 just uh it's just like Nicolades talks about in his book. Uh uh it's learning how to learn how to draw. That sounds kind of kind of bizarre, but you know, when you were here and we were talking about your horsemanship, and I think one time you described how, uh, I don't remember exactly who you're spending some time with, maybe it was Ray or Buck or somebody else, and you, and uh, <clears throat> they were kind of kind of schooling you up on a little different attitude, a little different comportment, a little different something, and, and you really struggled with that, and I thought, okay, this this gesture drawing is going to turn things upside down for Brian, but he's in. I can I could tell that you were open to the whole concept of it. And, Absolutely. Uh, so I got to tell you, one of the funnest things about that was well, I could say this about my entire experience of the fellowship, but 
when you can spend a few days with someone like yourself, and as soon as you get home, you get to hit the ground running. And that's exactly what I did. Uh, in fact, it was very shortly after that I had to I had to stamp a pair of jockeys. And I said, you know what? This is the perfect place to try some of my gesture drawing on this. And that's exactly what I did. Uh, everything that we talked about and discussed there. And, you know, that was very well received. There were some people that noticed I made some changes and they... Uh, I, I, they was very well received. I got some really nice feedback. Uh, so yeah, I felt, I also felt very good about where Man, I was headed with that. I'm going to guess it was more efficient putting that design down to getting it ready to, to go at it. So much. Oh, that, that's exactly it. It was just, well, it was just so much more simplistic. Yeah. And if, there's still going to be some people who may not really, again, Carrie can talk about this, uh, far more in depth and explain it much better but carrie you know i one of the one of the things that i remember that i think you read out of that book that we were discussing there they had described it as if you can imagine a ship coming through coming into a harbor through the fog and it's far off into the distance you cannot see any detail of that ship all you can tell is that it's a ship coming through coming into the harbor through the fog Mm -hmm. And that was kind of the concept that I, that I really gleaned from our conversation. And you do a lot of quick drawing and a lot of things that just kind of look like scribbling. And as bizarre as that sounds, it is very effective and very efficient. And uh, yeah, I got addicted to that right away. You put a well, lot of made my day. Yeah. It makes my day too. I, I mean, it's, it's really, it's fun to see. Well, it's fun to see our processes be fun and easy for somebody else, right? Carry them in. That's that's the deal. It's to to make a difference, it's fun to make a difference in somebody's deal, and it actually works. It, it probably not for everybody, right? But it's fun to find somebody that's like you, because we're all kind of weird just a little bit. Right? Sure. sure. No, it's that's awesome. I'm I'm just thrilled. I I saw. I think it was a back jockey. Might even be that back jockey on that saddle behind you, right there, but. Uh, I saw it, I don't know, on one of your stories or something. And I immediately, I thought, okay, <laughs> uh, we rocked Brian's world. He's, he, boy, he stand back. It's, uh, this guy's going to be a force to be reckoned with. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm just thrilled to be a part of your story. Yeah. Well, I enjoyed it. I really did. I appreciate you saying so. And that's the part that's so much fun. Like I said, when you can take something and you spend a few days with somebody and you come home and hit the ground running, uh, boy, I tried doing that with every every member of the TCA that I got to spend some time with. That's kind of what, and that makes it a ton of fun. Yeah. Well, it's the greatest right. compliment that we can all get to. And, and whether whatever level you're at, when you help somebody and they take that knowledge home with them and do something with it, it's the greatest compliment that can, we can get as teachers. I promise. Well, I think you guys deserve it. I really do. This has been, this has been such a, the fellowship has been such a great opportunity. Um, you know, when, when it was announced that I was one of the recipients for 2023, I had quite a few people reaching out to me that I think were kind of, kind of sounded like they were on the fence and they kind of wanted to feel me out a little bit. Mm -hmm. And, you know, uh, Today, anytime I talk to somebody, it, it's just a no-brainer. Do it. Look, just mm -hmm. apply. That's not a guarantee that you're going to be awarded it, but start applying. 
Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, that's what I tell everybody. I mean, you're, you're crazy not to, this is a, this is a good chunk of change that the TCA hands out. And if there's a better opportunity out there for someone like myself to take advantage of, boy, I don't know what it would be because this is as good as anything I've ever found. Well, thank you. It's cool to hear that. It's yeah. A, it's a stiff competition though. Like you said, man, I mean, we got four disciplines that you're competing against and, and the best in the world with those disciplines and dad gum, like, so Larry's the recipient this year for 24 um, for the, the bit and spur making. And that's the second bit and spur maker we've had in all these years. Um, it's sure. been tough. You dang blue snippers. There's one on every corner and y'all are all pretty dang good. <laughs> <laughs> right, right, right. Y'all have dominated, man. And silversmiths have done a pretty good job too, you know, getting in there as of late. So sure. that's all good though. Oh, I'm glad you like it. Yeah. Hearing, hearing your story, and uh, it's just, as Wilson said there a moment ago, it's just really, really gratifying to hear that, that we've been of some help. In fact, I'd, I'm at a place where I probably get just as much satisfaction, gratification from, from teaching people like you as actually building the work. I, I, it's it's kind of neck and neck. I really, really enjoy the opportunity to to share some information for people that are just soaking it up and but of course i like building this stuff too but yeah you know ernie's well that's perfect sense yeah ernie's in that stage of his career too ernie marsh and that ernie's you know he's he's happy teaching and sharing his shop and sharing his life and, and experiences with people and i'm still in the i'd rather be making it stage i mean i got patreon and i've done a ton of workshops over the last 10 years and all that and it's fun to share i love to help I mean, you see eli in the background there eli's clicking along and i, I love having him in the shop but but dead gum it's it, i love rather make it at the moment but but it's also man it's fun to see somebody see a story like you brian that takes it and rocking with larry i i i sent carrie a picture um i guess it's the beginning of the week right carrie Yep. Yep. How, how about them apples, man? I mean, talk about a quick oh, wow. study. Golly, oh, wow. it was night and day. And I'm like, geez, Louise, dude, hold on. You're going to pass me. I can't have that. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not that at all. Cause I hope he does pass me. That's the greatest compliment that could possibly happen is, is for, um, for if our students don't take our knowledge and, and pass us, then we probably haven't done our job thoroughly, you know? So it's yeah. fun to see. Well, no complaints on my end, I tell you, and I hope I'm not being too long-winded on this, on the fellowship, but what I found uh, so helpful is I got the exact same impression from every member that I had to work with is, and that is, look, we're here for you. They made it very, very clear. We can work on whatever you want. So if there is something you want to see, what method I am doing, uh, if you want to bring something here with you to work on yourself and we can work on it together, we can do that. I mean, these guys couldn't have been more accommodating than what they were. And it was just such a such a great learning environment. I don't know. That's where I say if there's a better opportunity out there for somebody like myself, I don't know what that would be. Now, now from our rodeo days, Brian, we were pretty um, – I was a team roper, and so that that's an asterisk, right? I mean, that's not the I most – not the most welcoming crowd <laughs> sometimes, you know, a little clickish. And uh, yeah, and uh, I, I went to the TCA 
going to pro rodeos as a team roper, went to the TCA show my first time thinking, you know, these bunch of self-important NFR pukes probably aren't going to talk to me a whole lot, but that's all right. I'm used to that. I can handle it. I'll get, I'll weasel my way in. And then of course, you know, 10 minutes later, I'm like, this is the nicest group of guys I've ever been around in my life. Like they truly care about my career and they want me to help, you know, and that was a turning point for me just meeting them. I couldn't believe how nice everybody was. And, and it took me 10 years to tell them I thought they were going to be a bunch of pukes, but they are. They like me now. So, <laughs> Well, I couldn't agree more. Uh, you know, the the one thing that the that you guys decided that I was so grateful for this year that was different is you allowed me to display a piece in your show. And it was the first TCA show that I had ever attended. So I was kind of like you, Wilson. I didn't really know what to expect. I mean, I had a good idea, I, yeah. but – could not have been nicer, a nicer bunch of guys could not have been more welcoming and more encouraging. It was just, you guys couldn't have done a better job. Well, uh, I, I don't know if this is a good idea, me bragging right to your faces here, but uh, I was just so impressed with the show and everything about it. Um, yeah. I just can't say enough good. We say all that stuff all the time. So it's nice to say somebody, here's somebody else. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah well, well it's well deserved you guys really well, well thank you thank you thank you and you know our little group uh uh certainly needs to do a better job of 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 uh describing ourselves to the world and 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 uh, sharing who we truly are and what we are trying to do and and uh, if you are quiet and you, you let people create their own opinions and just like i did it can be wrong Right. I mean, you, you get assumptions and prejudices about how somebody is. And, and I hear somebody selling a, a bit for 30,000 or a saddle for 60. And they're like, oh, well, they know they're, they're self-important. They're not going to talk to my little humble butt, you know. And so those prejudices start and, and that's that's not good. And so thank you for saying what you did. No, you know, it, that's so interesting that you bring that up, Wilson. You know, I've always viewed that exactly the opposite, though. Oh, uh, cool. When I saw early saw the TCA getting the kind of money that they were for some of those pieces that can do nothing but help the rest of the entire industry. Oh, true that. True uh, that. That's, that's just clear as day to me. I never once ever looked as if I was competing against the TCA in any way, yeah. shape or form. When, uh, when I would see somebody ringing the cash register on a 40 or $50,000 saddle, I just thought, well, my goodness, that just makes it that much easier for me to raise my prices. Still so going up. When I was there in 2003, that was my first show. <laughs> John Ennis had that pair of spurs for the the Spanish colonials that sold for $45,000. And and a couple of my buddies, were we were all walking around, non-TCA members, and they said, oh, man, we're so happy for John. Like, man, that's so cool. And I was like, screw John. How cool is that for us? <laughs> you know? <laughs> <laughs> and everybody knows I love John, and I've probably told him the story, but – Yes, I was tickled for John, but all I could think about is what it was doing for the industry. So exactly. I had never sold anything over, shoot, I don't know, uh, probably three or $4,000 at that point. So for him to sell a pair of spurs for 45000 I was like, man, I can get 4500 and not be totally off base, you know? Like, exactly. <laughs> that was a big thing for me. Sure. I was right there with you. You know, when, when we talk about um, – you know, all these prices and stuff. And I know we've, we've been around long enough, right. That 
we know what the chatter is out there and stuff on on that kind of thing. We've kind of alluded to it a little bit, but but uh, when we talk about imp- helping the industry, what we're really talking about is economic stability. Yeah, isn't that what we're talking about? That's what our trades need is a certain measure of economic stability. Sure. A young person looking at our trades. Can they look at it and say, yeah, I could, I think I can feed a family doing this. Uh, That's economic stability. But if you got, you you got situations out there where they're just, just, you know, discounted work and, and whatnot. And, and, uh, man, this is one of the toughest hills I've had to climb in my career because I'm, I'm charging more and more all the time. And, and I'm still in the same economic strata as the Cowboys. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, I have a hard time, you know, you do too, Wilson, you're, yeah. you're some of your best buddies are you've left them in the dust cause they, yeah. it's just a bridge too far for them money wise, but, but it's all about economic stability. Sure. And some of those Cowboy friends that have taken the, taken on the responsibility of the journey that I'm on to create economic stability within my own family. They started off in, in their journey of business, whether it was punching cows, training colts or whatever, um, in the same spot I did. And they've, they've taken their same responsibility as I have. And guess what? They're still buying stuff. I didn't chop their legs off. Now there are a lot of yeah. friends that didn't take on the responsibilities of creating economic stability and running a, a successful business, which doesn't have a damn thing to do with gesture drawing, right? That's a whole nother skill set. But those that didn't take on those responsibilities no longer can afford the things I build. And I hate that for them, right? I hate it. I want to build them something. I'm not trying to not build them something. Um, but my economic stability doesn't allow me to do well my journey on trying to create a successful business and take care of the demand that's in front of me has eliminated some of the some of the uh, the smaller lesser projects right i want to do the big fancy high end and hey we have some friends we know we have some very close friends that are as as accomplished as anybody out there in their skill set they don't want to build the high end they just soon build a thousand dollar bit and be completely happy doing it and that's okay for them too right but yeah, it's a, it is this, this old journey and everybody gets to pick their own, what they want to do, what they want to create all that. It's individuals. Sure. Individuals. Well, Brian, you're a tree maker too. So how many you're, you try to balance the tree making with your saddle making because you're well, building exactly for other right. people, your, your saddle trees for other folks. Yeah, and I can talk a little bit about how that even came about. Uh, <clears throat> I never really set out to be a to be a tree maker. What had happened? Uh, I was using. I was always trying to use hand built trees. Like I said, I really felt that that was that was very important. That whatever I was using for a foundation, that that was the best. And uh, you know, some of those tree makers there for a while, they kept falling further and further behind. And I remember visiting with Ben Swanky, and that's who ended up teaching me build trees. And uh, I, I told him, I said, you know, I'm kind of scaring a lot of customers off when they hear it's going to be a year even before I get my tree. And uh, he understood the problem. 
but it's kind of funny at the time. I don't think he was overly excited to, to really take somebody on and teach him, but he also understood, I think, that there was a problem there. So I said, look, you're, you're not going to scare me off. I said, I'm not looking to get something for nothing. Why don't you, uh, why don't you figure out what you got to charge me and you make sure it works for you and uh, we'll go from there. So he took some time to chew on that and he got, he gave me a call back and I don't even remember uh, what the price was that he shot me. But I said, well, look, if you were hoping to scare me off, it didn't work. So I said, let's go ahead and do this. So that's who taught me to, he got my start. Ben, this worked out really well. They are only, uh, they're up in Billings, Montana. So they're only a couple hours north of me. So I thought, well, when I run into inherent problems, I can just slip up there and visit with them, which I did. And that was, that was very beneficial. Now, after the fact, after he got me started, I can kind of see why uh, he was a little bit reluctant to help me get started. It's um, it's a ton of information to cram into a very short period of time. And I, I really think the best way if anybody was looking to get into that, they'd be better off looking into some sort of an apprenticeship program. Because, you know, I'm going to, I'll throw out sort of an arbitrary number there, but I, I want to say it was probably 100 trees before I felt like my high work was really adequate and maybe I'm a bit of a slow learner but I just felt like that's something that just takes you a while you gotta you gotta cover a pile of trees uh before you can really get proficient at it so that being said I'm really glad that I did learn learn that and it is a balancing act but it's something that I I like the fact that uh I feel like my trees complement my saddles and vice versa I never have to. I never have to worry about wait for a tree. And if there's something specific that I'm that I'm wanting to do, well, I have total control over that. So, for me, it's really been a wonderful part of this journey. And uh, yeah, I'm just tickled to death. Uh, if I'm building trees today, I would tell you there's no place I'd rather be than building trees. And at the next saddle shop, I'd say the same thing. No place I'd rather be than stamping on leather. So. It's uh, it's really been a wonderful thing. How do you how do you balance the demand out? Is there is there a, a challenge there? I mean, it's almost two separate businesses, right? It, it certainly can be. So, you know, and that's boy, that's that's a whole new can of worms there. So there, there's a, a very significant difference in my customers that I'm building saddles for versus yeah. who I'm building trees for. Now, I have about my, maybe not even a dozen regulars who I'm building trees for. And those customers, it's just like a revolving door. Um, if I have a customer that picks up a tree, he's like clockwork. Every six weeks, he just expects me to, he places an order as soon as he picks up his tree order. So it's just kind of revolving door. And that works really well. Now, the saddles are not like that. Uh, I would love it if all my <laughs> if all my customers ordered a, a new saddle every year. But unfortunately, that's just not the case. Uh, I do have repeat saddle customers, but they're not every year, <laughs> you know, it, it takes them a little longer to wear out one of them saddles. Yeah. So. Yeah. Well, and so yeah, I, it is two different customer bases and two different forms of, uh, I mean, you got to deal with glue snippers. You can call them glue snippers <laughs> real legitly. I'm sure. <laughs> yeah. I've got some good ones. I've got a real, I've got a, as far as for who I'm building trees for, uh, we've got a real good understanding, uh, they seem to like cool. the product that they're getting from me. And they're, I just, I couldn't say enough good about my customers. I, I'm really fortunate in that way. 
That's awesome. Well, that that's that's way cool. And what kind of wood are you using mostly on those trees? You know, I have experimented with some different types of wood, but I go back to what I was originally taught, and I use poplar primarily mm -hmm. throughout the entire tree. I will run some Baltic birch through the center of the fork to give it a little more strength. Uh, there have been enough people who have done the strength, uh, stress tests on poplar, and it just it's really good for building saddle trees. Mm -hmm. It's not overly heavy. It is super strong. So it makes great wood to use in the bars. Uh, interestingly enough, if whenever you give it the stress test, it always seems just to break longitudinally once it finally does. So it's just, yeah, it's great to use in the bars. And I use it everywhere, including the fork. But like I said, I do through the center of the fork. I will add some Baltic birch through the center there. Mm -hmm. um, and of course, I mean, it's, it's a little heavier and it's, it's better than pine, of course, which is, would be a kind of a downgrade, but I, I think it's worth it. I really do. I, I like using the poplar and I, I think it's definitely worth spending the money and getting the better stuff. Well, your, your work is just, just gaining ground leaps and bounds. And it's just been a real pleasure to, to look on and see, see the improvement and how keen you are to learn. Uh, I, I'm just, <laughs> I'm, I'm astonished. It, it really, you're in your what, mid forties or something like that. When I see people like you coming up, I think, you know, our trade's going to be okay when I see folks like you coming up. So, Well, I sure appreciate it. You know, that's where I can draw some comparisons to whether it's tree making, saddle making or horsemanship is that it's a never ending deal. You know, uh, I truly believe if you started off as a young person in any one of these and you started working at it, you could live to be an old man and you still wouldn't have it all figured out. If that's what your goal was, is to just keep taking it further and further. So it's a never ending deal. Uh, I find myself enjoying the learning process, maybe more so today than I ever did before. Mm -hmm. You know, early on, <laughs> it was a little stressful. You know, you, I found my, it was kind of funny. I don't know if you can remember your first saddles, Terry, but I, I remember I'd pull my hair out all the way through one, but as soon as I'd get through one, I was just chomping at the bit to get the next one started. Yep. Yep. So, uh, and now I'm still chomping at the bit to get one, to get the next one started, but, uh, the stress isn't like they're near like what, what it once was. Uh, I can find myself really enjoying the entire process so much more today. And, and that's just a wonderful place to be. Hey, you know, you've, you've just pretty much described where I'm at too, and have been for some time. And but what you bring up, I think, is that there has to be kind of a balance of anxiety and and comfort, doesn't there? Yet you, you oh, have yeah. to be able to, you have to be anxious enough to want to learn, as sure. educators all agree. There has to be enough anxiety to be able to to care. You have to, you can't be apathetic about things. Sure. But if you get too much anxiety, then then you're back to that what we were talking about earlier, standing in your own way. You know, there's right. too too tense, too tight, and that's where that gesture drawing comes into, you know, enters the picture big time. It's kind of a relaxed, focused, zen kind of a thing where you're you're letting go and letting things happen. Yep. So, and I'll be honest with you, getting back to that, that uh, 
that is something I've had to train myself <laughs> on drawing on that gesture drawing. You got to, when you created a habit of being a little bit stiff in whatever you're drawing, and now somebody's telling you, free that arm up, you know, just, just <laughs> let it flow. That, well, that sure sounds simple, but when you've created a habit, now you got to create a new habit to take its place. And it, that takes a little time, I found. It starts in your belly. It honestly yeah. starts <laughs> in your belly. If you get, if your yeah. belly's tight, that pencil ain't going to move worth a damn, you know? Yeah. All right. So you made us feel uncomfortable by saying a bunch of good things uh, about the TCA. So I'm going to make you feel uncomfortable just for a minute. Okay. Um, I'm gonna, And I'll speak as one of 12 of the group. I'll, you know, each one of us gets to vote. But Brian, what you just described, your attitude, your approach to life, your journey, that's exactly what the TCA is looking for, in my opinion. So get your ass in the shop and get busy. You got it, man. I mean, you got the right <laughs> approach. And and we need yeah. our industry, the leadership, that what the TCA represents has to have a room full of individuals just like that. If your goal is to be as good as you, if your goal is to be good enough to get into the TCA, you're short. You're short of what it actually needs. If your goal is to be as good as you can possibly be, and the TCA is a stepping block along that journey, welcome aboard. Get your butt in gear. Yeah. Come on, let's go. But um, because the journey just begins once you become a TCA member. You, now, all of a sudden, you get to hang around Schwartzy all the time and talk once a week with him on a damn pod, podcast. These guys become your friends. Those energies that are there um, are shared and it's inspiration like you've never seen. And all of a sudden you, you, you are, I mean, they're going to put my bits and spurs next to Ernie or John Ennis, you know, on the show. Well, I can't, I can't slow up. I got to keep hammering. I got to keep going. Um, right. Not because I'm in competition with them because I don't want to look like a fool. Right. And so exactly. You just keep going. And, and your attitude is, is awesome. Good on you, man. Being a quick study that what Schwartz is describing doesn't surprise me after what I hear. So. Cool, man. I'm proud of you. It's awesome. Well, thank you much. I sure appreciate it. Agreed, Schwartzy. Uh, I, well, you, you, you really plowed up a stump there, Willie. I know. But uh, I agree with 100% of what you just said. And uh, it's just, uh, yeah, I, I'm kind of been the poster boy for improvement in the association. And coming back to what we were talking about there a moment ago that it created enough anxiety. I needed to figure out a way to get better to prove that I belong in this group. And, and, uh, so I just, I did what it, what it, what it took. I did what I had to do. And, uh, so being a part of these guys has, has really held my feet to the fire, just forced me to be better. It's just like you said, Willie, you, you jump in the pickup with a bunch of winning ropers yeah, you want to be a winner. You got to hang out with winners. You got to. I mean, that, that's just the way it is. Sure. Yeah, and you don't want to be the you don't want to be the 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 leak the weak link, which often we might be. Like I, I honestly, if I have a choice of what link I'm going to be in the pickup, is the weakest link. I want to be the weakest link in the pickup because that means everybody around me is better, and I have tons of opportunity to go. But I can promise you the minute I close the door and I pick up and I'm the weakest link, I'm doing everything I can to be as good as the best link in the pickup, right? And that's just that's just the journey. And um, 
it, it's it's fun it's fun to see another person like that it really is yeah i couldn't agree more yeah that's a very good way of putting it i've thought about that so many times and you know quite often you'll hear somebody say well i'm a little worried because i'm going to be the greenest one be the greenest one on the ranch well that's not all bad that means you're probably going to benefit the most too exactly, that's so, exactly absolutely, right. absolutely. yeah it, now it's hard though right our insecurities get involved and you need to think back to your gesture drawing. Loosen up, little boy. You're going to be okay, you know. But our insecurities get involved, and you're like, oh, my gosh, I don't want to look like a gunzel, you know, and all that. But uh, sure. our security should our, – our, our, I'll be spiritual for a minute. Our security should not rely on the productivity of our hands or our abilities. It lies in something uh, – a power larger than us. So if you get that figured out, then the rest of it kind of falls in place, and away you go. Sure. Amen. Well, we've we pretty well chewed up an hour. Yeah, Brian, he's got that tree sitting there waiting for rawhide. That's probably what he's up to. You rawhide in the winter time, or you push oh, yeah. that off? Do you? No, no. Uh, yeah, kind of a year round kind of deal. Um, yeah, it's like we just talked. It's kind of a balancing act, you know. Uh, I never do one at a time. I'll get a few built in the wood mm. and. Uh, yeah, I'll usually probably build half a get half a dozen at a time, and then uh, it's just a little more efficient that way. And then mm -hmm. when I'm raw hiding, I try to cover two in a day, and that's uh, that works out to be a pretty full day for me. So, nice. but but it's it's really nice the way I have it set up. Uh, I'll spend a few days in the wood shop, and then I'll just bounce right back here and work on a saddle. I got a saddle that I got to finish up, so probably tomorrow I'll work on finishing it up, and then I'll bounce back into the into the tree shop and yeah it's just a good deal kind of always burnout is no such thing around here if i get burnt out it's not from work because if i ever even the slightest bit of boredom pops up <laughs> there's always plenty to do around here there's never a dull moment so our fathers taught that at a, at a young age i'm sure yours was like mine I, i'm bored dad was only said one time in my whole childhood because i never <laughs> wanted to be bored right, again yeah. <laughs> we can fix that yes yep, let even me when there's help nothing you. to do there's always something to do oh you're bored well, let me welcome you to a wire brush and a trailer full of <laughs> here we go <laughs> right. Right, right. <laughs> oh well well thanks man thanks for joining us thanks for doing what you do thanks for being you so i look forward to the future and many more visits for sure yeah Absolutely. i appreciate it it's been a lot of fun thank you both all right take care you guys Adios. Adios.